Having car problems? Well, with Rhoda, getting them fixed is as easy as ordering takeout. They'll come pick up your car for free, do any repair or maintenance needed, and return it right to your driveway. They'll even give you a complimentary video inspection of your car so you can see what needs to be done. Perfect for those of us that maybe aren't so car savvy. Book your appointment online at roda.com. And lucky for you, CityCast listeners get a 20% discount on any service for up to $100 off. Just use the code CityCast20. Today on CityCast DC, the Avalon Theater in Chevy Chase is turning 100 this weekend. The place was founded back when neighborhood movie houses were everywhere. And even though most of the places its age have closed or been redeveloped as drugstores, the Avalon has stayed put. When it had a near-death experience 20 years ago, locals were so upset that they kicked in money to turn the place into a nonprofit. So what's the secret? Today is Thursday, May 4th. I'm Michael Schaefer, and here's what DC is talking about. All right, so the Avalon is turning 100 years old. I'm here with Bill Oberdorfer, who runs the joint, and Dan Spielman, who has forgotten more about DC area movie theaters than most people have ever known. So. A hundred-year-old movie theater. For people who don't know, uh, this place matters. Can you give us a history lesson? Why does it matter? Why do people care so much about it? Well, the Avalon is a one of the last remaining neighborhood theaters in D.C., and there used to be dozens and dozens of them around the city. It's been obviously been in this Chevy Chase D.C. neighborhood for a hundred years, and as a result, it's. I think people in the area have developed an emotional attachment to it. We hear lots of stories about first dates, going there as a kid, those sorts of things. And uh, so people in the neighborhood, you know, really love the place. It's sort of an anchor of the uh, small town feel we have up here in Chevy Chase, DC. Was the Avalon around in the silent era? Oh yeah, yeah. It yes. started in 1923. Uh, so it, it wasn't it didn't show silent films for all that long before the talkies just kind of swept the nation. And in those days, what was the neighborhood? Like, were, were there other stores around it? Was What did it look like? I mean, the Avalon was actually a single screen theater with two retail spots on either side of the theater as part of the building. And one of the retail sides sort of became our second floor, second theater, and the other one is our cafe. There are a lot of churches. I know that on the circle. <laughs> and I presume when it in those days, this was sort of a second run theater. This the stuff would start downtown yeah. and then kind of move its way towards the more neighborhood yeah. theaters. We weren't the biggest theater at the time. If you go back and look at the paper of the Washington Post from the 1920s, we were sort of listed in a separate section of community theaters. And the movies changed on a daily basis, which make it really hard when we went back and did the research to find out what was playing at the Avalon when, because it changed so much. Who are the, the other theaters around here? There weren't a ton of theaters right in Chevy Chase, um, but there were just way more theaters in the district. There were just a ton of them. Chevy Chase was special because it was unique to that community. And surprisingly so, it's the last standing theater, right? We've lost so many of those grand movie palaces in the district. 
Uh, it's a shame, and not just in the district, but all across America, these wonderful places that had fantastic decorations and were just a special place to go to see a film. And really, the Avalon is one of the few left. And we've just had so many other theaters lost to indifference or the pandemic or economic realities. I'm just so glad that uh, 20 years ago, the community got together to save the Avalon and rediscovered that treasure that is part of D.C. history, part of the community history. So we're lucky that it's still there. So for those of you who haven't been there, it's got on the ceiling, it's like the Sistine Chapel, yeah. um, except they're holding a piece of film. What's the backstory of that mural? And is it like the only one of its kind or are there murals like that in, in old theaters across the country? Well, the backstory is that the mural was put up there, I believe in the 80s, and it was one of the many iterations. It was only one of the many iterations the theater went through design-wise. Whoever took over the theater at the time decided they wanted to do something different with a mural. And they commissioned an artist, and the artist came up with this whimsical idea for this mural. And it is an image of Mercury tossing film reels to cherubs up in the sky amidst the clouds. Uh, I would say uh, pretty confidently <laughs> that there's nothing like that in D.C. or or anywhere else. It's kind of cool in its own way and its uniqueness. Yeah. So one thing that Avalon is not, it's not a CVS, <laughs> uh, which many, <laughs> Too uh, many are. D.C. theaters now, yes. uh, now are. Yes. It closed and then was saved from being repurposed. Uh, can you tell that story? What happened? In 2001, the theater was run by... Cineplex Odeon, which was a chain that has now been absorbed or gone bankrupt, I'm not sure what, but they suddenly closed the theater and what they basically did is they jettisoned the leases of these small theaters like the Avalon and then they magically reappeared in malls in multiplexes elsewhere. In this case, the theater was closed in March of 2001 and it was in terrible, terrible shape. And in August, a gentleman and his wife named Bob Zeke and Joanne Zeke, who live in the neighborhood, took it upon themselves to try to reopen the Avalon, as I'm sure many other groups have tried to do in situations like this across the country. We joke around sometimes and say it didn't become a CVS because there was already a CVS ah. right down the street. Bob took this on. And he had a meeting at his house. Anybody, he put a, a message on the Chevy Chase listserv. Anybody interested in coming to talk about saving the Avalon or reopening the Avalon, please attend. And I happened to attend that meeting and found myself on the founding board, along with about 10 or so other people didn't know anything about the movie business, which turns out that was probably an asset because had we known what we know now, we probably never would have attempted this crazy endeavor. But... It worked, and we got a meeting with Doug Jamal, who effectively owned the theater at the time, and Doug offered to lease the theater to this fledgling nonprofit as long as we could raise $100,000, which was like a, a pittance compared to what we needed. But we did, and the neighbor, you know, we put our, literally put our hat in hand out in front of the theater and collected money from people passing by, and that was sort of the first indication of the neighborhood support. And... Uh, so Douglas agreed to uh, renovate the architectural detail in the theater. And in the theater group was responsible for bringing in screens and projectors and speakers and all that kind of thing, seats. And that was kind of the deal. And it was really community yeah. saved. 
When was the last time you went to the theater? Well, we have a new show for you to check out. The Gala Theater in Columbia Heights is showing the political musical comedy Museum in the Closet, Avida's Return, which follows Argentine icon Eva Perón to the afterlife as her preserved corpse ignites political scandals, clandestine affairs, and mysterious murders. The show is full of samba, reggae, and tango that will have you tapping your feet nonstop. The show is in Spanish with English surtitles and will run from May 9th through June 9th. Get your tickets now at galatheater.org or call 202-234-7174. So what does it do different now than the average theater does? We have an edu film education program targeted towards middle and high school students, DC public and charter schools called Cinema Classroom at the Avalon. It's not something that's widely known about because you know we don't sell tickets for it. It's a free event. We bring in students from every ward in the city to see films that are have some kind of social justice or significant meaning to it. And we bring in a speaker, they can ask questions. And we've been doing this now for about 10 years. And we've had over, I think, 16,000 or so students come through to see films like Soundtrack for a Revolution. It's a very much a program that differentiates ourselves from your regular commercial theater out there. The programming that we carry out, I think, is particularly tailored to the interests of the community. Um, we try to show really smart, intelligent films that you're not going to see anywhere else. Now, one of the things that I love that we're doing is we're celebrating our centennial by showing a different film every month that showed at the Avalon during a particular decade. Things like In the Heat of the Night, The Great Dictator, and, and honestly, those are still resonant today. And, you know, I, th I think are valuable things for people to come see. So we've, we've really enjoyed that series. And we do a lot of programming with embassies, getting foreign films in there, just movies that you're not going to be able to see anywhere else. Just to be clear, it's not like a purely art house, eat your broccoli theater. You'll still show, you know, the new James Bond yeah. movie or yeah, something. Yeah. Or we'll show kids movies. We're not trying to, to be exclusive in any way, but we are trying to make sure that the movies there are both smart and entertaining, you know, able to, to really engage an audience and challenge them, uh, engage them. And is it now financially sound? Does it pay for itself or still require like a large infusion of philanthropic money? We are in very solid financial shape, even though we just came out of the pandemic. And I attribute some of that to the government, both DC and federal government support. We do rely on contributions. I can't sit here and say that a two screen theater in Northwest DC is a business model that would work as a for profit enterprise because it wouldn't. You know, we have good years, we have down years. Um, so we need to fundraise to sort of smooth out the ups and downs because it is a very volatile industry, especially post-pandemic. Yeah. It wasn't that we just saved, you know, Bill and, and his folks saved the Avalon 20 years ago. It was that we need to continue to save the Avalon. The community is constantly saving the Avalon every time they go and buy a movie ticket. And so we really appreciate that support of the community. It's an ongoing project of love of the folks that are working at the Avalon and the community around it. So I got to ask you, the other big, old, grand theater on Connecticut Avenue, mm -hmm. the Uptown, closed right at the beginning of the pandemic. There has been an effort, I think not successful, to create a nonprofit to keep that 
as a theater. What do you think are the odds of success uh, if we define success as keeping it as a movie theater? That's kind of a loaded question, <laughs> but I can't really speak to the odds of that. You know, I would say the Uptown is, you know, it's a great, great old theater from in D.C. that many of us saw some real great blockbuster films in. It's also really big and it's a one screen theater, which is a challenge from a movie business perspective. The Avalon is two screens. We, we would love to have a third screen, for example. I think it would be a challenging place, but you know, somebody with the, would need a lot of, lot of funding in order to make a go of it. I mean, I have so many good memories of seeing movies at the Uptown. I would love for that to come roaring back. As Bill said, I think that there are uh, those out there that are interested. And if there's a, a any sort of support role that we can play, we'd love to try to do that because it is a a spectacular theater and um, a great loss to, to D.C. That, that we lost it during the pandemic. So the collapse of the Avalon before it was rescued, that was kind of the uh, movie theater collapse 1.0 yeah. uh, in our uh, country. And there are some people who are saying theaters period, are kind of pointless as we move to immediate streaming and so on. You know, what is the, the best wisdom right now about what a theater will mean going forward? I really believe and I hope that people are coming out of the pandemic looking for uh connecting back with their community, right? To, to have that experience. The first movie that I watched after the lockdown was uh, In the Heights, which is this grand, spectacular, fun film. And I was going to watch it on streaming because I wasn't sure I was ready to go back to the theater. And a friend said, no, you have to see it on the big screen. You have to see it at the Avalon. And, and he was right. I sat there with a smile on my face the whole time. There's nothing like that feeling when the lights go out and the anticipation comes up and the crowd is all laughing together and experiencing it all at once, right? And I, it just doesn't compare to sitting at home watching something on your little tiny phone or on your couch alone. And I really hope that people want that tonic that will help revive their connection with others by going to see the movies. Who knows what the future holds? It is a difficult market, as Bill said, but that's what we believe in. That's why we're here. You know, one of the things about the Avalon is we always use the word community, and it can be maybe a little cliche, but I really believe that's part of what the Avalon's about. The staff knows people that come in regularly. We have oftentimes are known by name, so we try to make it a a personal experience is sort of a, a differentiation from your average multiplex. And I think what Dan said is absolutely right. The key to the movie business that we truly believe in is it's a shared experience where you can hear the gasp, the laugh, the groans, whatever, from your fellow moviegoers, and you're watching <clears throat> on a big screen. So it's an immersive experience that is... Uh, unique in this environment with all the interruptions we have from so many different sources. That's really the way we see it. And, you know, that that's the basis for it, really. Can you project forward? It's been 100 years of the Avalon. Movies' role in our society has changed. The experience of going to the theater has changed. What's it going to look like in another 100 years or even another 20 years? Well, I think if our programmer was on this, Andy Metcher, he would say that anybody who says that they can project where hmm. this industry is going is making it up. <laughs> My only projection is that we fully intend to have the Avalon still here, you know, decades down the road. And one of our advantages of being small is that we're adaptable. And as long as we have strong community support, we'll roll with things as we have rolled with things for the last 
20 years. And I think people will always want that connection. I think people will continue to appreciate the film history that, that the Avalon celebrates. We're uh, celebrating our, our gala May 6th, and we're pulling all, all the stops for that. We're going back to our roots with a Buster Keaton film, which if you've never seen Buster Keaton on, on the screen, you really have to go see it. He's hilarious and inventive and astounding. He does all of his own stunts. So in the movie we're showing, Sherlock Jr., he plays a, a projectionist. So in a way, it's a movie about the magic of movies, and we just thought that was perfect for us. One of the things that's going to make it extra special is we brought in a local composer who's going to debut a new score that he wrote just for the occasion. We're going to have a live band, so it's going to uh, feel like it did back in the day when you, when you watched a silent film. And I think that special magic will continue to last even for the next 100 years. I'm curious if either of you have favorite personal moments at the Avalon, either under your reign or before that. My favorite moments tend to be when we have a full house or close to a full house. Sometimes that's with a speaker or somebody of note who's there to speak or something unique going on. And there's a certain energy in the room that is palpable. We did a film many years ago called Live and Become, and we had the actor, the lead actor from that film there. And you wouldn't think it would draw a crowd maybe, but it was a sold out 350, 400 seat house. And uh, I just will never forget the energy and the excitement from being as part of that crowd. For me, I already mentioned one of my favorites, that experience going back after lockdown and seeing the spectacular of In the Heights uh, on the big screen. I guess another one for me is the first time I took my kids to see a film at the Avalon and it was Hidden Figures, which I think is a uh, the, the type of film that the Avalon tries to play. You know, it was both interesting and smart, but also, you know, it, it was a crowd pleaser. Uh, it did well with the crowds, but maybe not uh, necessarily a kid's film, but my kids really got into it and they really got into the experience of going to see it on the big screen uh, at the Avalon. And so it, it, it felt like they, they were getting what I was into as well. And I, I just, I love that experience of kind of passing it on to the next generation. Uh, we do a thing in our podcast uh, where we ask folks for uh, life hacks, their, their suggestions about how to uh, live your best life in DC. Do you have any uh, secret uh, strategies? So behind the screen in Avalon 1 is a kind of a unknown place, which is the original stage that was there when the theater opened in 1923. And it's a little bit like going back in time when you go back there. If you stick your head down through a, a, a door opening, you can see where they loaded in the blocks of ice when they first had air conditioning. It's a pretty interesting place. It's back, back where the organ was when the theater opened, but it's another world. So if you come down to the Avalon and would like to see what it used to look like, happy to take you back there. Bill Oberdor for Dan Spielman, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. And before you go, some quick news. You might have received an email from Uber about contacting the DC Council. If you are wondering why, it's because the Council is looking at a bill that might charge a $2 congestion fee for each rideshare heading in and out of downtown during rush hour. The fee is part of DC's ongoing budget talks. It aims to help pay towards making Metro buses free. Meanwhile, the city's Department of Human Services announced this week that local hotels no longer have room for migrants arriving on buses from Texas and Arizona. 
The governors of those states have been sending families to D.C. for over a year now. Their idea is that this is somehow protesting the Biden administration's open border policy. D.C. has been putting them up in hotels as temporary lodging. The announcement comes as officials expect a surge of incoming migrants this month. And lastly, Howard University has chosen its new president. Ben Vincent III is a historian of the African diaspora. He's currently provost at Case Western Reserve University. He'll start on September 1st, taking over from Wayne Frederick, who is stepping down after 10 years. Vincent described Howard as a fast-moving locomotive train, and he wants it to keep moving. And that's all for today here on CityCast DC. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell your favorite movie buff and subscribe to our morning newsletter? We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Amazing the number of Washingtonians who had their first date at a CBS. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. That's for sure. <laughs>